Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> um, we're continuing our series today in the book of John. Um, and our series is entitled Jesus and. And up for today is Jesus and the Samaritan Woman. But just for a change, I'm not going to read it. I thought I would act it out. So here we go. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Come quickly, meet this man who knew everything about me. I think this is the one we've all been waiting for. At last, our Saviour, the Messiah. No, please don't turn away. Listen, I know what you must be thinking. Why would God's chosen one, our saviour, waste his time with the likes of me? But really, I have just met him. Yes, don't ask me how, but he did know about my shameful lifestyle and my shady past. All the reasons why I normally prefer to avoid all of you people. But he didn't reject me. He saw beyond my guilt and shame. And he promised me a new life. Come and meet him for yourselves. Okay, at least let me explain. Today I went to the well at noon. In the heat of the day, yes. To try and avoid you lot and all your disgusted looks. And there he was, a stranger at the well, all on his own. Jewish he was. Yeah, Jewish. Those who usually won't touch us Samaritans with a barge pole. And he was all on his own, sat by the well. And there I was wondering, well, why hadn't he gone the long way round, like most Jews do, to avoid us? When suddenly he looked straight at me as if he were expecting me. And he asked me for a drink. Well, you could have knocked me over with a feather. A Jewish man asking me a Samaritan woman for a drink? As if he didn't know what that would look like. I was right flummoxed, I can tell you. I asked him how he could do that. And he said, if I knew who he was, I would be asking him for a drink of something he called living water that would spring up inside of me, producing eternal life. Well, that didn't make any sense. So I asked him, however did he intend to get hold of this living water, since he didn't even have a bucket? And just who did he think he was? But then he said, the kind of water he was offering was the kind that quenched every thirst we could ever have for all time. So I said, oh, that sounds good stuff. Give me some of that. But then things got really weird. This stranger told me to go and get my husband. It's like he knew exactly where I was hurting. I told him I didn't have a husband. He agreed. He clearly knew that. And he said, that's right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're now with is not your husband. I'd never met this man before in my life. 
And here he was, seeing right into my soul. Well, he was clearly a prophet, wasn't he? Because he knew stuff he couldn't otherwise have known. But that was awkward. I wanted to crawl under a stone. I mean, he had a kindness about him, no denying, but I didn't want to discuss my junk with a complete stranger. So I thought I'd sidetrack this prophet with a religious chestnut. Samaritans versus Jews. I asked him who was right about the place of worship. The Samaritans with Mount Gerizim or the Jews with Jerusalem. I thought that was sure to get him on his religious high horse and he'd ride off and leave me alone. But instead, he fixed me with a steady gaze and he explained that it wasn't where we worshipped that mattered now, but that we needed to worship God in the spirit and in truth. I think he meant from our heart, with our whole being, our true selves, and not out of religious duty anymore, but out of love. Well, this was all a bit much. Sounded good. But what authority did he have to say such things? So I said, I knew that the Messiah would come one day and he would explain everything to us. Then he declares, bold as you like, I, the Messiah, am speaking to you. Well, that knocked the breath clean out of me. And before I could answer, all these men started coming back from town with food. And from the fuss they were making of him, I realized they must have been this man's disciples. They obviously couldn't believe that their rabbi had been talking to me. And from, way that, from the way they looked at me, I knew I wasn't welcome. I felt about as welcome as a pork chop in a synagogue. <laughs> anyway... I knew enough by then. I knew I had to run back and tell you all to come and meet him for yourselves. So I just left my water jar by the well and legged it back here to you. Now just think about this. If he singled me out, the village outcast, it's surely because he wants to show us all that we are loved and accepted, no matter our race, gender, mistakes or misfortunes. And he's offering us all this new life as true God worshippers. Could this be the Messiah? I think it is. So come, please, meet him for yourselves. There we go. So that was the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. I would encourage you to read it for yourselves, because obviously some bits I had to cut out, some bits I paraphrased, and it's a brilliant story. I just wanted to make it really accessible for all of us, because it, it's um, a story full of hope for everyone. Um, and as Esther mentioned before, towards the end of the Gospel of John, John explains the reasons for recording the events that he did. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
So since John wants us to see that Jesus is the Messiah, it's no surprise he chose to recount this particular story of this Samaritan lady's experience. Because her main appeal to her town after meeting Jesus was, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, for us, it immediately begs the question, what does Messiah mean? And what was this life that John wanted us to receive from Jesus? Well, in a nutshell, the understanding from Scripture about Messiah was the longed-for, promised rescuer, where mankind had failed to live in union with God and had failed to partner with him to bring his loving rule down to earth, this Messiah was prophesied to succeed. He would be the true bearer of infinite unending life, eternal life, a life connected with God, full of joy and blessing. The Messiah was prophesied to be the teacher, the healer, God's servant, the true king, the liberator, the highest priest the new human who would blaze the trail for the rest of humanity to become truly human again, restoring them to God's image and restoring them to his family. John wanted us to see that Jesus was the Messiah, the bearer of this eternal life, an an unending life of blessing for us, which comes by being reconciled to God through Jesus and which starts the day we surrender our lives to Jesus. What we see then in Jesus, as Steve mentioned the other week, is God's own heart. So if this story is about the Samaritan woman's encounter with Jesus, who is God's heart, what do we learn that is relevant to us? Well, one important thing I think it shows us is Jesus meets us where we are not where we think we ought to be. Then that's going to be my main point today. Uh, The rest of the talk will be to reiterate and illustrate that one point. So Jesus meets us where we are, not where we think we ought to be. So let's break this down a bit. First of all, Jesus meets us in our day-to-day circumstances, and he lifts us above them. Now, this Samaritan woman was going about her normal routine, She wasn't a special person in a special place when she met Jesus. In fact, because she was a woman in that time and culture, she was not considered at all noteworthy. Then, of course, she was a Samaritan, which made her an outcast as far as the Jews were concerned. But added to that, she was a woman considered to be morally deficient by her own people. And all this made her an outcast of outcasts. Yet Jesus not only talked to her, but openly revealed his true identity to her and offered her eternal life. He met her where she was, but he lifted her above it. He connected her to her on the earth and lifted her up to heaven. And we see that he meets her over her physical thirst and he teaches her about living water, eternal life. He breaks down the religious barriers that she was trying to use to stop him getting close. And he teaches her about the real spiritual connection that we can now have, saying, now is the time to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, secondly, Jesus meets us in our failure and he transforms us. 
Jesus put his finger on this lady's shame. He pointed out that he knew that she'd had five husbands and the man she was now with was not her husband. But he didn't do that to make her feel bad or squirm. He did that to heal her. Now, when I was preparing this talk, I started off thinking, oh, if only God had told us what had happened to this lady down the line. Um, what difference did her encounter with Jesus actually make to her? Um, did the man in her life stay faithful to her? Did the villagers treat her any better? We're not told if her circumstances changed. But the more I looked at the passage, I began to see there were lots of clues about the change that already happened inside of her. It's obvious before meeting Jesus that she had a very low opinion of herself because she preferred to fetch her water when no one else was about in the heat of the midday sun. Apparently, Jesus made it plain that he knew all about her. And the detail John chooses to record about what was shared between them that day was the fact that she'd had five failed marriages and was now living with a man out of wedlock. All massive moral black marks against her in that time and culture. Now, as a woman in a patriarchal society, she was likely to be as much sinned against as she was sinner to have ended up with five failed marriages, even if she did snore, was a nag bag and kept ferrets. <laughs> But regardless of how she got into that situation, I think it's fair to say that she would have felt a massive weight of rejection and self-hatred. Imagine the baggage she carried from all those broken relationships and the current fears she would have had about the latest man, not even committed enough to marry her. What if he too rejected her and she was left destitute? Her life would have been filled with a depressing need just to survive. Her existence would probably be sheer grind, gritted teeth and gloom. And yet, after meeting Jesus, she is filled with hope and purpose and excitement. She leaves her water jar at the well, her physical thirst I'm oh, sorry, she's forgetting her physical thirst because of her emotional and spiritual thirst has suddenly been quenched. And she hurries back to the town to all the people who she was previously trying to avoid. And now she not only has purpose and hope, but she has a voice. She has the joy and privilege to carry the message of good news. Instead of skulking about trying to avoid people, she wants to invite everyone to experience a living encounter with the one who knows all about us, warts and all, but who is inviting us into a relationship with God so we can really start living. I think it's really interesting that Jesus dropped hints about his identity to his hand-picked Jewish male disciples but he revealed it openly to this outcast Samaritan woman. For all of us who are apt to disqualify ourselves from God's love, this is a massive encouragement. We all qualify because it's simply in our need and willingness to be truly connected with him that we are made worthy. Jesus met her where she was, but offered her a completely different life. 
And he promises us that too. He promises in John 4, 14, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. By accepting the living water Jesus promises, it will well up inside of us to eternal life. As his stream of fresh living water flows through us, the dirt in us is displaced and we are renewed to the point that we have overflowing life, an overflowing life of love to give away to other people. It's an ongoing salvation process of purification and renewal as followers of Jesus. Now, to help us see how this works, let me share with you a less than saintly episode in my life. Like this lady, it's often when we come face to face with our failure that we can come face to face with Jesus. Maybe because at that point we realise we need him and at that point we realise he's the only one who will stick by us and help us. Anyway, a few years ago, I listened to a talk by someone called Abby Stromvoll on the subject of shame. I remember her saying something like, let God love you in the midst of your shame. In that place where you think God must utterly reject you because of your failure. In that moment, accept his love. Then you will actually experience the reality of his unconditional love for you. Hmm. Little did I know. (laughs) About two weeks later, I'd have the opportunity to try that out in a way that I will never forget, and which gave me a very real encounter with Jesus' unconditional love. So here's my story, which coincidentally involves a cup of water. Now, I like to think... having encountered Jesus as a teenager, that by now I can just go out there and love people. (laughs) How hard can it be? However, I'm an introvert. So although I like people, it's a bit like clotted cream for me. You can soon have too much of a good thing. (laughs) And too much company makes me grumpy. Also, I tire easily, so too much work can make me rather grumpy. In fact, there are many things that make me rather grumpy. <laughs> anyway, one day, Steve says, we've, in, we've been invited to so-and-so's party. Now, to protect identity, I'll refer to them as so-and-so. Don't worry, it's none of you. <laughs> um, for various reasons, I won't divulge um, their true identity because it's about my sins and not theirs. Um, and, um, but I really did not want to go. I couldn't excuse myself without offending a handful of people. And on top of that, the party I didn't want to go to was after a long, hard day at work, and I was tired. <laughs> Unfortunately, upon arrival, things went downhill very quickly. Because I'd come straight from work, I was so thirsty. I just wanted a glass of water. Uh, but there was no welcome drink from the host. And when I said, oh, please, can I have some water? She said, oh, you have to wait. The kitchen's out of bounds. So I thought, oh, okay. So I just sat down. The cup of water never came. Not all evening. 
a small thing maybe amongst the problems of the world, but suddenly I was beyond grumpy. My fuse was lit, but I kept politely quiet. I have perfected the art of inwardly seething in a very English way. <laughs> but then, as soon as Steve and I were alone in the car, driving home, I let Steve have it, all guns blazing. Why did we have to go to that party? I'm never going to that person's house again. Did you see how rude they were to me? All I wanted was some water. How dare they? Who do they think they are? Ramp, ramp, rage, rage. You get the idea. Please pray for Steve. <laughs> he puts up with an awful lot. <laughs> I kept up my tirade of outrage and injustice, throwing all of my toys out of the pram until I got home. Whereupon I ran into the bathroom, burst into tears, and physically crumpled in a heap on the floor, sobbing. This is it, I thought. That shows I can't really be a Christian. I can't even love. Look how judgmental, offended, angry, unforgiving, nasty, and selfish I am to be reduced to this seething mass of poisonous lava. God, oh, I said between sobs. I quit. I can't do this anymore. And you're mean to even ask it of me. I can't love when I feel absolutely pants. I can't love when people are so unlovable. I don't have it in me. It's unfair of you to ask it of me. I'm a failure and I give up. And then I suddenly remembered what I'd heard in that talk two weeks earlier. Let God love you in the midst of your shame, in that place where you think God must utterly reject you because of your failure. In that moment, accept his love. Then you will experience the reality of his unconditional love for you. And perhaps for the first time in my entire life, I really experienced what it was to be loved unconditionally by God. So many times people had said to me, Sue, God loves you. And I knew up here, but I didn't know it in here until that moment when I came face to face with my abject failure of the whole loving thy neighbor thing, that I realized I really did need him and he really did love me. I hope that helps you in your own encounter with Jesus. He loves you where you are, not where you think you ought to be. And whether you've never met Jesus before, or you've met him a lot of times on your journey, the starting point for our relationship or a deepening relationship is where you are. Just accept that eternal life that he's offering to you and stop trying to go it alone. Now, the evil one wants to remind us of how we are disqualified by our unworthiness. But it's our need of him that is our qualification. And this is put very well by a preacher I often listen to called Tyler Staten. He says, Satan's greatest trick 
and his real temptation is to get you to wallow on the ground, defining you by your most recent failure, when God continues to define you by his grace. So when we fail, when we fall short of his glory, we're not meant to wallow in self-pity or in some kind of perverted penance. We can't earn forgiveness by punishing ourselves, but we can repent. We can acknowledge our sin and turn from it and then accept the forgiveness that Jesus is offering. So briefly to recap, and in keeping with the water symbolism, I have here a water filter jug. And I thought that was a really good picture of what Jesus does for us. He invites us to come to him and to keep coming, um, to pour all our dirty water into him, to filter out our impurities. He doesn't exclude anyone. All we have to do is come, to bow the knee and surrender and say, yes, please purify me. And in exchange, he'll give us that living water that wells up to eternal life, And it's his purity that purifies us. The Samaritan lady that we met today, on the outside, she went back to the same circumstances. But on the inside, she was totally new. She had dignity, purpose, hope, forgiveness, and the joy and privilege of being a messenger of good news and the certainty of life with God, who loved her unconditionally and who, unlike the many men in her life, would never leave her or forsake her. And her story can be our story too. She invites you, and I invite you, to come and meet Jesus for yourself, no matter your circumstances. Perhaps for the first time, perhaps for the 7,000th time. Remember, Jesus meets us where we are, not where we think we ought to be. And the invitation that Jesus gave her and to us remains the same. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life.